When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London blue badge tourist guides. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Is yeah. That the way around? Yeah, that, no, that was fine. No, uh, that's right. We are London blue badge guides, aren't we? It felt weird. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our websites, guidemily.com and alexlacy.com, as well as our dedicated website, ladieswholondon.com. Hello, Em. Hello. How are you doing? Good. And do you know what? We need to actually change. Well, I just need to change my bit because my guide, emily.com. Oh, no. Has it been hacked? It's not hacked, <laughs> but it is no more. Oh, are you no longer being guide, Emily? So I just no. I need a I need another name, another brand. No, I'm 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 closing it down, or I've kind of closed oh. it down. Um, God, Emily, get to the point. I'm making a new website. Right. With a whole new, like, uh, what's it called? Web address thing. Oh, I'm so tired. Not a whole new web address. Is it just going to be emilydell.com? <laughs> no, I think it might be guidedbyemily.com. Oh. Basically, because my this is really boring actually, but my uh, the account that I've got my guide Emily on, I'm also using it for another account, which is quite necessary. <laughs> anyway, I need to cut that bit out. So if you're trying to like, you know, you're probably not. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's no one out there that's actually trying to go on guideemily.com. Has there ever been a more scintillating start to a podcast? <laughs> anyway, how are you? Come on, tell us some fun I'm, things. I'm quite sleepy now. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> I'm well, thank you. I was I was ill this weekend, uh, mm. a bit, bit grotty, but I'm I'm on the mend, um, and I'm back in London, and I'm still working. I'm really, I, I, my best friend said to me the other day, um, just so that you know, I'm getting closer to throwing um, a what's the word um, when they like uh, stop you from doing something um. when your friends get together and. Oh my god. Why do our brains not work? Thank you for everyone shouting it. We're automatically. <laughs> what um, is it? Intervention. Oh, intervention, that's yeah. it. She said, so yeah. I'm getting closer to, to, to staging an intervention for how much you're working. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, good. Um, well, I something guess, needs I, to happen, Alex, you genuinely know. Genuinely, haven't stopped since the start of the year. Um, I'm quite tired. 
So, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I, it's all good. And we are rocketing towards uh, Crimbo. Oh, old Halloween is done. So, yeah. Next thing up is the uh, all the festive stuff. <gasps> I went into the range the other day, which has the most amazing baubles. Now, I'm talking about the kind of baubles. And, well, they, they look visually the same kind of baubles that you'd get in Liberties, but they're three quarters of the price. Oh. Get to the range, people. Get to the range. Talking of baubles, did you see the video of the massive Christmas baubles um, on, Um, I think it was Regent Street, which came loose in the winds yesterday (gasps) and rocketed down, I think it was Oxford Street. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God. The video's all over Twitter. Go and have a look. Wow. It's like something out of a a movie. It looks fake, but it's not. And it's utterly hilarious. Um, just these in- absolutely enormous baubles <gasps> skittering down the middle of the road. That's quite dangerous. I mean, yes, quite, also quite funny, but yeah. Wow. Okay. God. <laughs> Go and check out Twitter because it's a very entertaining video. How freaky! Yeah. Oh, and, you know, Christmas lights are starting to go on, which depresses me because I'm very much one of those nothing festive before the first of December kind of people. No, I'm not like that at all. Oh, you're not. You're just like strap the bulbs on no i'm like halloween's done let's get the tree up really nah. yeah no no no, no. i really I am do start my christmas lights tours before december although i'm not i'm, I'm, I'm grumpy about it <laughs> i don't know how you can be yeah nick's a bit like that nick's like you know we can't get the tree up until i don't know the 10th of, of december which is just insane madness crazy talk so anyway hey um <laughs> Have you got anything, any shout out? Oh, you've got something that we need help with, don't you? Come on, everybody talked about it 20 seconds before we started the pod. What do yes, I need help with? A, a Many things. London but... institution is closing. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, so we've had, no. <laughs> we've had a message. Uh, we've had a message from Vanapolamondo, um, who has said, Hi, ladies. <laughs> Simpson Tavern is threatened with closure. Um, I thought that maybe we could, well, put out an episode on it. So, yeah, the legendary chop house that is Simpson's Tavern um, Mm. has closed. And actually, if you go to their website, it says temporarily closed. So it's already kind of on the roll. So I think it's the landlords, isn't it? Putting rates up or or something. But um... And I don't know if there's enough necessarily for a full episode on Simpsons Tavern, but it's a bet very there is, you historic... Know. You think there is? I bet there is. Okay. All right. Well, then I won't tell people about it here. It's on the Strand. It's very, very historic for a variety of reasons. Next week, Emily is going to talk about Simpsons Tavern. <laughs> We're not spinning oh, the wheel. Landing myself in that. Tavern, Do you know what? I, th- I think there's going to be enough. I mean, if not, I mean, I can kind of put in another chop house, I'm sure. But 1757, it's been going. Don't give it all away now. Oh, <laughs> Hold back the information. It'll only be there five minutes of, anyway. There's a lot of interesting stuff about it, actually. Um, so, all right. Let, next week, there we go. Wheels <laughs> needed. Okay. Go put the wheel away. Yep. Thank you, Vanny. <laughs> we'll be uh, we'll be doing that next week. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thanks, Vanessa. And if you uh, do you have any shout outs? That, or if you want to get involved in helping, I think there's a petition on uh, all the socials. Look up Simpsons Tavern. Go and sign it. Um, we don't want to lose it. It's, it's amazing. No. Um, and you'll find out why next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another little um, notification that it's worth letting people know about. Um, way back at the dawn of time, we did an episode on Operation Mincemeat, which was one of our faves. And then 
the film came out and then the musical came out <gasps> and the musical blew us out of the water because it, it confounded all our expectations. It was amazing. The best thing I think I've ever seen in the theatre. And there's news. It is having a West End transfer. Ah! Now, we don't yet know which theatre it's going on at. They do. They haven't yet told us. I have a little bit of insider info. And it's, I've been told it's one of those three theatres I think are in the mix. I suspect it's going to be at the Criterion Theatre on Piccadilly. I might be wrong, but that's the kind of vibe that that theatre normally goes for. So that would be a good pick for it. But if you want to find out, go to their website um, and... Uh, join their mailing list and you'll be the first to know um, and if you didn't get to see it last time oh my goodness just, just don't miss it I'm going to be going again definitely be- and you've seen it twice now haven't you yeah that would be your third time it's so good it's amazing so wow well well done split lip yeah absolutely mm. so there we go now I do have a little shout out this week I'm back from um, uh, from the Cotswolds my lovely time in the Cotswolds I mean I say lovely time it was a beautiful place to be I mainly worked um, but I did want to give a shout out to my lovely friend Kathy. Hi, house I was staying in and um, I found out when I was there when she came back um that she listens to the podcast avidly I didn't know that. oh well um, definitely hi Kathy <laughs> Kathy so, actually she was quite excited to hear her house in our podcast for two oh. weeks. so I want to give her a shout out thank you for a lovely two weeks staying in a gorgeous house it was gorgeous I enjoyed the wallpaper yes I gave you a little little walk around didn't I mm. um, but yeah so um so hello Kathy and thanks for listening which is rather nice yeah mm. um now, we didn't have a podcast pedestal last week, did we? Because it was Halloween episode. Yes. But you did put up a poll on the stories about that famous photo, the second one that you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Did we, get, did we get some comments? We did. Don't look at it. Oh, okay. I can tell you. All right. So the options were, you said, what do you think? Do you think, do you think it looks like she's jumping off her bed or lifted by a poltergeist? Can I just remind people what it was? Yes. So this is, um, we were talking about scary things last week and I was talking about photographs, scary photographs in London and the Enfield poltergeist um, was, uh, well, causing quite a lot of mischief in a bedroom used by two sisters. And this particular picture shows one of the sisters in a red dress and she's being lifted by this poltergeist and I put it to you, is she jumping or is she being lifted by a spirit? I, I, you said it looked like she's being lifted up. It looked like she's jumping off her bed. Poltergeist all the way. And the people agree with me. 71% reckon she's 71? She is not jumping. Look at her sister's face. She is terrified. Uh, well, you know. Her sister, she just could be scared of her sister being... <laughs> Such a... <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so, yeah. The votes are in. 71%. But, hey, you know, 29%. That's... You know, twenty nine percent. You know, think it's uh, something spooky there. So that's something to cling on to. Yeah, there's seventy one percent of people who are sane. Anyway, <laughs> on to this week. On to this we week. Are going with well, I think we we landed in Wapping, didn't we? Um, and we are going with a um, request on this mm. week. We had a request for uh, a podcast on poor schools, um, and I couldn't find for the life of me who requested it. So apologies uh, to the person who did request it. Um, but I have uh, just been failed massively in, in finding your name. So consider yourself shouted out. Uh, <laughs> even though, even though <laughs> really? Um, now, it's quite a, a big topic, actually. 
Um, and there was the reason I I did it in Wapping is because you and I, well, you used to live in Wapping. I, I live very close, and there were some. You know, there's a couple of them there, um, simply because they are, well, as the name suggests, poor schools, schools for the poor, and the area of Wapping was a, now now it's very fancy and, and there's celebs that live there and um, it's all a bit zhuzhy, but Ron Weasley. Um, at the time it was the docks it was it was poor it was hand-to-mouth existence and so charitable schools and things like that were needed so there are a few options there but there's more it's a bit more kind of complex than just one type of school so there's a few different types we've got a charity school known as a blue coat school um and this is what i was thinking of when we were looking at the whopping ones because you have the buildings there and I'll, i'll come back to what you can see on them in a bit but there's also another well there's two other types i want to have have a little look at one is called the ragged school and one is called the industrial school now these are all we're talking largely about the victorian era but the charity schools or or the blue coat schools go back as far as the 16th century for very good reason the difference between them the ragged school was kind of a school for those children who were so poor that even the blue coat or the charity schools wouldn't allow them in um, it was given the name because the, the children who went there, well, I mean, pretty much they'd turn up with, just with, with rags on their backs. They rarely had shoes. And they didn't have, you know, if you turned up at one of these charity schools, if you didn't even have enough clothing to kind of come in, they would turn you away. Even though the blue coat schools did dress their students, if it was a case of, you know, tons of children wanting to go to school, you'd pick the ones that you thought were going to be the the you know the most successful and they're the ones who are obviously going to be have a slightly better background so that's what they would do the industrial schools were slightly different as well um ragged schools as well they were often where children who had been involved in crime in some way you know because they could be used by gangs for petty theft all sorts of stuff if they'd been up in front of the courts you know often they'd turn up at the ragged schools and the industrial schools were slightly different they were ones that were set up to try and help children who were destitute, who were, you know, proper abject, abject poor, um, but as yet hadn't committed any serious crime or or kind of gone into the, the underworld, if you like. And, and the idea was that you get them before they've been sort of adopted into that world and you, you, you pull them out, you give them an education and you give them a trade and hopefully you sort of cut, cut it off at the root. So... You need to take them out of the environment that they're in. You can't just bring them in for some lessons and then send them back in the evening. You've got to properly take them out. Um, so often they would be boarded. They'd be boarding schools. Um, so th- this is kind of the, the basis for them. So if we go back to, to where it all starts, is this making a bit of sense, these kind of... Yeah, of absolutely, yeah. Um, so if we start out with, with poor schools slash... Let's call them blue coat schools, I think, sort of charity mm. schools. How far... So I, I said that it goes back to the 16th century. Now, can you think of anything in the 16th century that might have an impact on the number of poor people around or the kind of, let's say, level of poverty that's around? Can you think of anything that might have happened to exacerbate the problem? So I know that at the time you had King Edward VI Mm-hmm. on the throne when they first began Correct. so i'm guessing that it's um there are repercussions from uh the change of the church absolutely 100 percent. 
nail on the, nail on the head the dissolution of the monasteries mm. um, and the reason for that very simply was um lots of the, the poor in different cities and all over the place would get food shelter work health care apprenticeships uh, support basically from the monasteries you know monks would um would feed them they would sometimes clothe them if they could um and so when the monasteries are dissolved when henry VIII splits from the church in rome gets rid of anything catholic such as monasteries um when they go so does the support but it also means that all of the stuff that belonged to the monasteries was sold off land buildings all that kind of thing sold off destroyed that sort of stuff which basically meant that the rich got richer and the poor got a bit poorer so mm. the gap widens a little bit and henry the son as you rightly said edward the sick comes in and he sees that there's a little bit of a gap in this provision goes oh hang on uh that used to be looked after by because of course churches being sort of the, the, the major um institution in the country that was the whole thing about you know being christian is helping the poor etc when they've gone he thinks right we'll need to do something and he he founds the first blue coat school now do you know which the first blue coat school was a i've got a feeling oh gosh i think or where it might have been one oh is it there's not a visual there anymore there is the actual institution isn't there anymore but there is a visual okay so yeah. i think the first was in hatton cross or near that general area close not quite but not not far away it's on newgate and it's christ church greyfriars it was christ's hospital oh, of course you, yeah, yeah. do you know where i'm talking yeah, about yeah 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 so if you're scooting around city of london if people want to kind of go and have a little wander if you are behind st paul's cathedral and you're heading up towards smithfield um sort of the eastern end of smithfield there is a, a ruined church and it is where have we talked about the ghosts that are there um i don't think oh it's where isabella the she-wolf yeah did we talk about i don't do you know what i don't think we did anyway well there's a destroyed church there and it's it has on the side this little kind of shield it's almost like a a triangular bit of metal and on it are the images in relief Mm -hmm. of uh, a few children marching forward and this was the very first blue coat school it was essentially a foundling hospital so we know what that means it's you know orphan children and they were taken in they were given a uniform um which was a frock coat in in blue with yellow stockings which is quite a quite a, a look girls wear a skirt instead and um, a few years ago so it, it does still exist it's not in newgate in the city of london anymore it's up in hertfordshire and um they still wear that and i think a few years ago they were given the opportunity you know to, to have a, a vote and say do you want to keep it do you want to change it and pretty much everyone went now we're keeping it because they're really proud of it and if you have the lord mayor's parade if you go and watch that which is at the sort of around october time usually when the new lord mayor of the city of london is installed um the current students of christ hospital will parade in that parade in their frock coats and, and yellow socks so if you go and see that that's who you will see uh, parading in it yeah i read once that the socks were yellow because they um dyed them in turmeric oh and uh rats and mice really hate the taste of turmeric i didn't know that and it stopped them like nibbling at their feet when they were in lesson that is amazing i hope it's true because <laughs> it's that kind of that kind of turmeric color yeah like orangey yellow well the blue uh, now there's a couple of schools of thought on the blue um some say that it was the cheapest dye 
which mm. is kind of up there, one of the cheapest dyes. But then other uh, other times they say red's the cheapest dyes. I, I don't know about that. Um, but blue is the traditional colour of charity. So that, you know, because the Victorians, bless them, they liked, they well, eventually they liked helping people out, but they also liked to mark out that they were being helped. So it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Frock coat, but we're going to put it in blue so everyone can be like, well, there's the charity case. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, good old Victorians. So, um, this one's the very first to, to start and gradually more and more blue coat schools and some grey coat schools as well were added and the whole point of it was to give children uh, a part-time education sometimes they would be boarding but often they would be day schools um the, now a lot of people think it's just boys but actually no girls would be there as well and girls aren't given an education but a different one that both boys and girls are, uh, are taught to read and write so the the issue of um uh, illiteracy is, is being solved but then the girls are given um, basic maths and domestic pursuits so things like sewing darning cooking cleaning all those sorts of stuff because then you are good to go into service so you can then go into the big house and do all the scullery maids cooks whatever um, so essentially they're giving you a trade and the boys would be given a trade apprenticeship as well I love that they give girls the maths because of course the girls would then be in charge of if they were working in service of figuring out you know what you're spending on the food and this that and the other and, and budgeting yeah. stuff so i love yeah. that there's you know there's thought gone into that which is quite weighing out the butter exactly all that yeah you know weights and measures all that kind of thing um and then if there were any students that were particularly academic there was a few there was a few scholarships that were available which could be given out to either depending on the school you could either have more years of study at the school because not all the schools did i mean none of them did the length of education we have now mm. but some would then pay for another couple of years some scholarships would actually pay for you to go to university and they might then have a link um to a particular university or, or a particular college at a university um there's one one of the schools in whopping which is kind of where i started um my research and i talk about on my whopping tour um to give you a bit of an idea about how it was sort of funded there was the master of the house uh, was paid 40 pounds a year to teach the boys the mistress was paid 20 pounds a year to teach the girls obviously classic Gosh. Uh, <laughs> <classy>. <laughs> yeah 50 percent um, less for the hell yeah and, and in whopping in this particular one uh, boys were educated for four years and then they would become eligible for an apprenticeship um in this particular case there was a board of trustees and candidates who were deemed suitable to go into a particular apprenticeship the um they would approve the three pounds fee now, three pounds is quite a lot actually uh, but they would approve that fee for them to do it the girls would go into the school um and be educated for about two years and then after that only about 10 girls per year would be chosen to enter the boarding school and they'd then get a further four years to do the domestic service stuff um and the wages of the mistress and, and a cook as well um for the the all the students uh, was funded by the sewing and the knitting services provided by the girls themselves so there's a little mm. bit of child labor going on here <laughs> god that's you know, terrible that's isn't it funding um god. but it's a lot better than so they would get them to knit things and then they would sell them on and then yeah. put that money back into the poor school uh, essentially paying the paying the wages of the people who were paying there. the wages mm. okay mm. but like i mentioned earlier you know they can't cater for everybody um, and there's often a lot of children who are very much even lower than the poor or orphan children who are going 
these blue coat schools so particularly mm. in urban areas in in real inner city really poor areas there are lots of children who are still not getting help not getting any kind of formal education and sort of just being left really you know um going into um, child labor going into crime um and these are the ones who we, we're calling the, the, the ragged children really so they are turning up in in dirty rags disheveled no shoes you know they'd have been running around stealing doing whatever they were doing and so the ragged school startup in the in the 18th century um now if we think about capacity of london in 1841 there's a nearly two million people living in london and they reckon about 500 to 600,000 of them were children there's no compulsory schooling at all of course you're you're rich they're, they've been being schooled for years and usually with tutors or, or you know, fancy schools that kind of thing but they were tiny fraction of the population of this entire two million have any formal education at all so they're largely illiterate um, we're not just talking kids we're talking adults too because of course funnily enough don't know if you know this em kids grow into adults what i know what docker hold the front page jesus um, christ i thought carmen was going to be small for well forever she will be that's fine just, yeah, just keep her smoking <laughs> it was fun to grow fine. Um, so yeah you've got this illiterate population and of course lots and lots of people that the vast majority are living in really poor conditions so as a result people turn to crime there's a rising prison population and the only people really who are getting any form of education are hand-picked and it's usually due to being wealthy they can afford to pay to go or due to religion you know you, you sort of give yourself over to the church and you get an education as part of your religious life training whatever you want to call it so there's a few people that, that claim ownership of where these ragged schools start but it's probably most likely because this is not just a london thing this is across the uk um probably the first one is a guy called john pounds who is around from the mid 1700s to the well about 1839 uh, he lives in portsmouth he's a shoemaker and he is kind of globally given to be that the the founder of this victorian movement of ragged schools um he was a he was known as the crippled cobbler um <laughs> i know he had he had disabilities yeah, i think he wanted to go into the military but couldn't um, due to his disabilities and so what he did is he he saw all these poor children in and around portsmouth and he really dedicated himself to the children in the area he taught them fed them sometimes if he could he he gave them a place to stay as well um and he was not charging fees at all and he started doing that in 1818 um there was a chap in edinburgh uh doctor uh, reverend dr thomas guthrie who was an early promoter of it and he started uh one of the first scottish free schools for the poor and then it trickles down to London. And the first guy in London that I could find is a chap called Thomas Cranfield. And he starts offering free schooling um, to the poor at, uh, well, sort of around the 1820s, I think. And he's got a bit of, well, teaching chops, actually. He learned to teach uh, when he was at a Sunday school in, in, when he lived in Hackney. Um, and he then started a day school near London Bridge, a place called mm -hmm. Kent Street and started to bring in quite large numbers of children um, without any payment whatsoever. And by the time he died in 1838, he built up a network. There were about 19 um, different schools, so Sunday schools, night schools, and infant schools, dotted around London in different places that offered free services to the children of poor and destitute families. Wow. Yeah. 
So quite a, you know, quite an important thing. So this, this is a really big movement that starts. And one of the people who talks about the importance of um, uh, education in cities such as London, I wonder if you can guess who might have an opinion on this. Oh, uh, Peeps. But no, Peep, no, but Peeps is dead and gone. Oh, we're talking in the 1800s. The 1800s, yeah. Um, who likes a, likes a bit of a chat about uh, Victorian poverty and children? Oh, Hogarth. Dickens. Oh, Dickens, of course. Oh, Hogarth, oh, 17, isn't he? And he says, uh, without more schools, the capital city of the world would become a vast, hopeless nursery of ignorance, misery and vice, a, a breeding place for the hulks and jails. Mm. So there we go. So this whole movement is kind of an attempt to uh, find a way through poverty by educating people and essentially improving their their possibilities, their, their chances. Um, they're all over the country, particularly in urban areas for obvious reasons. And they set about educating uh, the children. They're, they're mostly supported by private institutions and often operated by churches or other religious institutions. Um, and what they would do is they would clothe and teach the students free of charge. They gave basic lessons and sometimes, where possible, provided food as well. Some opened refuges where children could sleep, particularly in, in winter when it's you know, really, really cold. Um, there was later on, there's a thing that comes about called the Ragged School Union and a chap called Mr. Locke, who belonged to it, he said that the government needs to give more thought to preventing crime rather than punishing the wrongdoers. And he says that if the, he, he actually sort of details later on what the schools have been able to achieve. And he says um, they've been able to find so much employment for, for so many of these children that have come through their doors. And it's given them good skills like money management mm. um, and they're given moral guidance and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot more to it than just teaching them how to read and write. There's there's other skills that, that are needed to go into the world of work. There was a book that was written called A Child's World and it, it there's, they did some interviews and there was a volunteer who told you about the children. So I'm just going to read you this quote. Um, the children are all of them ragged and dirty and some of them revoltingly so and who were spending the Sabbath in lounging about the streets and yards playing games not of the most innocent kind. Oh. When ushered into the first classroom they whistled, sang, shouted and yelled until better sport presented itself. The girls' appearance was unrefined in the extreme. Their answers to the teacher's questions revealed a state of ignorance truly deplorable. Oh, God. <laughs> just, you know, That's I mean, awful. I, I know a few teachers and I think some of them have had some pretty feral classes at times, but nothing <laughs> like this. I mean, it's really quite... What's the line about them whistling and shouting before some... Other interesting sang, sport would come along. Until better sport presented until better itself. Sport presented itself. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they, some of these kids are coming in, but they're, they're not universally popular with the people they're designed for. Of course, if you're going into the schools, you're then not earning money, um, which a lot of the kids would be doing, and they'd be doing you know, mudlarking, chimney sweeping, all sorts of different stuff. Um, crime, a lot of the, these kids are, are involved in crime. So a lot of them are carrying on just doing this and they're not really taking notice of the schools or not really bothering to kind of engage with them um and there's a journalist who thought oh, i'm a bit you know i don't really know if these schools are working and he he set about to go and have a little bit of a rummage and a chat to people and he'd go and interview these kids and he'd see them mudlarking on the river and he'd go up and say you know come on what, why are you doing this why are you not going excuse me to one of the blue coat schools or whatever 
and they often said there was one kid who said I don't think I'd be able to learn no matter how hard I tried which is really quite sad mm. but also a lot of them have been to prisons and houses of correction so they're only and, and some of them workhouses which of course we, we've gone into before about how abject the workhouses were um so a lot of them if they're thinking about an institution they're not thinking of a nice institution that's going to help them they're not attractive prospects they think oh it's going to be the same as this how you know house of correction or a, a workhouse and they they're not going to think it's anything better than that so what's their drive to do that they're not going to be earning and they don't they think it's going to be as awful as those so i mean, Blame them. No. Blame them at all. No. Now, our friend Dickens did visit one, and we probably visited more than one actually, but one in particular called London's Field Lane Ragged School. It's a real place, and it's very near um, the area where he set Fagin's Lair in Oliver Twist, which oh, is Saffron Lane, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. maybe the one that I was thinking of near Hatton Garden. Oh, maybe. Yeah. there's still be. a couple of the statues just above the yeah. door. It might be there. That one opened in 1842 and okay. it, it had three schools. It didn't just um, teach kids, it taught adults as well. There was a day school that taught reading, writing, counting and, of course, the Bible. And then two night schools. You had one for vagrant and destitute adults and one for boys who had um, employment during the day so they couldn't come in the day. They'd come in the evening and it ran different classes. So what they're doing is they're, they're teaching you, you know, the three R's but also they, they're running classes on things like shoemaking and tailoring and, and for the girls like sewing so they're trying to give you skills as well as as the ability to read and write um so field lane fed and clothed its students as well and they they ran a night refuge they gave parenting lessons for mothers and of course a bible school at weekends lanes uh, london's field lane would take any religion or background you didn't matter if you were christian or not but it is based around quite evangelical Christian beliefs. So you can go in with any religion. You're probably going to, they're going to make a good old style, but trying to make you come out Christian. basically. Yeah. Um, and they, what they would do is they would have lessons on, on, like I say, parenting for mothers and the, for fathers on what their duties should be as a father. And it was all under the premise of, you know, doing what's right by God, essentially. So there's, there's a bit of an ulterior motive there, but I mean, like, like I say, Victorians, that's kind of their that's kind of their vibe that's what they do um dickens was really shocked by what he saw i mean we heard what the volunteers said earlier about how the kids were um and the he, he wrote about it there's a little little quote that i'm going to give you the school consisted of two or three miserable rooms upstairs in a miserable house where children were huddled together on a bench while some flaring candles were stuck against the walls mm. not to be trusted with books the children were taught orally by a voluntary teacher to look forward in a hymn to another life which would correct the miseries and the woes of this one. God. So it's, it sounds pretty awful. And it sounds quite tragic, doesn't it? It really does. And he takes a lot of inspiration from this to for his books. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, we do know, we talk about Dickens all the time because he gets everywhere. Yeah. Um, Good old Dickie. And it's funny because, you know, Dickens is it's a tough read. It's not the easiest to read. Hmm. But actually, the more you know about the history and about him and what what he saw and what he you know visited it makes sense it's all in there he just writes it down and puts it in a story so he's got um a poor school in there and he does also put in um christmas carol if you remember now it's funny because it depends it depends what your memory of a christmas carol is if it's an accurate one 
the the ghost of Christmas future is quite a sort of scary prospect and in the book the ghost of Christmas future has two ghosts that sort of cling to it one is the ghost mm. of want and one is the ghost of ignorance mm. and he was inspired to put them in from what he saw in these poor schools and the kind of the, the poverty of the community and he was like you know if this carries on that's what you're going to get you're going to wow. get poor and yeah, want yeah, and ignorance yeah. everywhere yeah now these schools get they, they grow quite a lot um and a lot of the ones in london come under a thing called the london city mission or the lcm and this starts in 1835 um it's created by a, a scottish guy now there's, uh, there's quite a lot of scottish impact on uh, the poor schools in the, in the uk uh, it seems like they were really pushing it and a chap comes down from scotland he's a missionary worker he's called david naismith and he founds this lcm and he appointed as part of it uh, missionaries who were paid to help the poor with a whole variety of different stuff so you've got your education sure but they also created things like clothing clubs and soup kitchens and stuff like this as well and they start to get in money from wealthy benefactors uh, one of these wealthy benefactors uh, is a chap called lord ashley do you know lord ashley Lord Ashley. Hmm. No. He is the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. Oh. Ah. Now, people might be going, Shaftesbury, that rings a bell. He was a very famous philanthropist. Um, We have Shaftesbury Avenue named after him. We do. For his good philanthropic work. And what else do we have that was built for him, Emily? So we have the Angel of Christian Charity. People call him Eros, but it's incorrect, isn't it? It's um, Eros. And yes, and his arrow used to be before I think it was stolen, pointing down to Shaftesbury Avenue as a nod to Lord Shaftesbury. Yeah, and where is that sculpture? Piccadilly Circus. Absolutely. So if ever you do the whole, oh, I'll meet you at Piccadilly Circus under the statue of Eros. It's not Eros, and that is the statue <laughs> too. Lord Shaftesbury, yeah. uh, the Earl of Shaftesbury, and the Earl of Shaftesbury doesn't just give money; he's also he, so I say he's a he's a philanthropist, and we always refer to him as as a philanthropist. Um, in the 1840s, he's really concerned with child labour, and mm. he commissions reports from a commission called the Children's Employment Commission. He wants to know about child labour, and the first one is published in 1842. The first one deals with children who are working in mines and collieries. And what they do is, in order to get this, get all the information, they go and they literally interview these children, these poor little kids who were working down the mines. And it publishes this report about low pay, the hours, the dangerous work conditions. And then later that same year, a second one, and this is this then includes loads of other trades and hundreds of interviews with children. So he is very, very um, interested in child poverty and child labour. Um, so it makes sense that he is supporting the LCM. It also makes sense that he then, in 1844, helps to establish the Ragged School Union. And this was founded in order to basically bring together all of these slightly disparate groups of ragged schools um, and poor schools across, uh, well, not just London, but further away. And he became chairman of this union and he was head chairman of the thing for nearly 40 years god blimey which is pretty impressive really impressive very, very and impressive. i should say in the 40 years that he was in charge about three hundred thousand children received education 
Wow. Which is, I mean, that's a... That's unbelievable. That's, that's really impressive. Mm. Um, there's another wealthy benefactor who is one of my favourite people that we've ever talked about on the pod. <laughs> if not Nor. <laughs> um, and do you, can you think of any wealthy women we've spoken about who might... Oh, wealthy women. Oh, is it, um, is it Coots? It is, Angela Burdett Coots. Angela Burdett Coots. Which, if you've not listened to that episode, genuinely, she's amazing. Go yeah. listen. She's, she's yeah. fantastic. Um, she'd just fling money out at anything that she thought was worthy. And this was one of the, the things that she supported. Um, and we talked about at the time how we didn't know everything that she put money towards because she'd just sometimes write in the book, uh, you know, random hmm. donation. Uh, but we do know that she was a very, uh, very hefty um, uh, benefactor of the, uh, the Ragged School Union. And when the union started in 1844, they had about 200 teachers. Fast forward just seven years to 1851 I had to do some quick maths there uh, <laughs> well done proud of you uh, thank you very much um <laughs> it's probably gone wrong um they we had they had 1600 teachers oh wow god in seven years yes yeah. wow and by 1867 there were about 350 schools and they were providing education for about twenty six thousand students <gasps> so that's pretty impressive mm, mm. um now, there's one very famous name that is associated with ragged schools in London. Do you know? Can you think of anyone? Today? No, fr- from this era. But it's a very famous from name. From the 19th century. Um, and his, his name is still given to a charity. But I don't know if charity still exists. But. Still given to a charity. It's not someone like um, Peabody. Not Peabody. You're kind of thinking in the right. Uh, not kind of Guinness. No. No. Dr. Bernardo. Oh, Bernardo. Dr. Uh, now, Bernardo. If I'm in the UK, you might not know the name uh, Bernardo, but Bernardo's was, uh, in fact, was, still is, maybe, um, a children's charity, mm. which stemmed yeah, from is, yeah. um, this ragged school help that Dr. Bernardo gave. He came over from Ireland. He intended to train as a doctor, so actually I don't know if we should be calling him Dr. Bernardo, because he bunks out, um, when he sees the abject conditions in London for the poor. Um, and he decided in 1867 to set up his first school and he ended up setting up the largest ragged school in London. Um, and he went on to to found, I think about 19 of them. Uh, and later his name then was taken on into the, the, the children's charity. So yeah, another very important guy who comes mm. over and is like, this is ridiculous, I'm gonna help. Mm. So a very quick note about the industrial schools. Now they don't pop up quite as much, but the industrial schools, as I mentioned earlier, these are ones designed to grab the kids who haven't yet gone into the life of crime and hoik them out and pop them in a, a school boarding usually um, where you could then sort of yeah get them before before they turn sour really um, they had quite a strict life the the ragged schools and the blue coat schools varied in how long the days would be but some would only do two hours of education because they needed to get off and earn money or whatever but the industrial schools would, would be a, a pretty strict one. They would get up at 6 a.m. and they'd go to bed at 7. They would um, be schooled. They'd learn trades, housework, religion. There were, you know, specific meal times. Um, there were, there was a little bit of playtime as well. And again, the girls did domestic ones. The boys did more trade, like gardening and shoemaking, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And until the end of the 19th century, schooling was voluntary. And in 1857, there was an act that was brought in called the Industrial Schools Act. And it was any of these schools that were prepared to be inspected by the Home Office 
and provide boarding could then become this industrial school mm. and they could then compel students to attend lessons. So what that meant was, it meant there was a, a, a bit of a, a thing in the law that if children were caught between the ages of seven and 14 or looked like they were, because sometimes kids would lie about their age. You know, they might say, oh, I'm 17, governor, when actually they were 13 and they just want to yeah. go and make money, you know, that, that sort of thing. So if they suspected that the kids were, because you didn't, like, registering births wasn't um, obligatory at that point, um, so there were no birth certificates. If you were thought to be between 7 and 14 and you were caught working for, say, criminals or gangs, um, you could be sent off by the magistrate for reg residential schooling for up to two years. So you can actually be, be forced to be to up sticks and go to mm. one of these industrial schools. Wow, okay. Later, it was expanded to include any children um, of between those ages who were found to be either begging, wandering homeless, imprisoned for whatever reason, or yeah. out of control. If their parents just thought they're unmanageable, then the magistrate could also order them to, to head to an industrial school as well. Parents were supposed to contribute to the industrial schools. The ragged and the blue coat were free. Mm. Parents were supposed to contribute, but realistically, very, very hard to enforce. And a lot of these kids, you know, their parents didn't have the means to do it. They're still yeah. from the same backgrounds. They just haven't quite gone all the way down the chute. Um, so realistically, that didn't happen, but they'd have um, sponsors and things who would do that for them. And then eventually, by the late 19th century, most of the charity schools of all of these, so industrial, blue coat and um, ragged, were pretty much absorbed into the state system or had become so successful that they became private schools, independent schools. Yeah. And there are still today between 60 to 90, vary, the numbers vary because they kind of, some you know drop out, some come back, um, different blue coat schools that still exist. Uh, really? Oh, I didn't realise that. Are, I mean, they have the name, but they obviously now operate through the normal yeah. school system. They don't, they don't yeah. operate the same way, but there are still some, some blue coat schools. And in fact, there are some that you can see around London. Do you know any? That are still going now? Yeah. I don't know. I think I only know the ones that have now turned into something else. Well, there's one in Westminster. Oh. Yeah, there's one in Westminster. Um, and there's also quite a lot of stuff that you can see, buildings that that belong to these these um, schools as well. So we talked about Wapping, um, having a few. And within uh, maybe five-minute walk, there are three that I know of anyway, possibly four, actually, if we include the one near your house, um, which were blue coat schools. And you can tell that they were. And how can you tell? So above the door, you have these charming little statues. They're like doll-like figures, mm. usually of a young boy and a young girl wearing the, the blue coats. Yeah. They're known as the model students, which is a, a both kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also yeah. know, it's how they want the students to be, is sort of perfectly dressed and perfectly, you know, ready to learn, but also they are models of students. Um, and they're often made, in fact, the one in, in Wapping, there's one called, um, I think it's St. John's, is made of code stone. Now, code stone mm. is a proper nerdy guiding thing, isn't it? <laughs> Eleanor Code. Eleanor Code. Um, <laughs> Eleanor Code, who was a lady who made this amazing type of stone. What a um, gem. Which, oh my God, we <laughs> might have to talk about her at some point. Um, which basically, the, the, code, uh, the stone doesn't um, erode. If you're ever on Westminster Bridge, Bridge, look at the lions on the south side of Westminster Bridge. They're made in code stone. And they, they do stay, not weather. They do not weather. They, they stay nice and white. And she took the recipe to her grave. So we don't actually know how to make code stone anymore. 
Um, but basically, they're really great for, for things that you want to stay there. So yeah. they are made of code stone uh, at the front of, uh, of the whopping one. Um, on Caxton Street in Westminster, and I think, ah, now that's yes. still that school, I'm just not sure they use that building anymore. Okay. But it's a beautiful building, mm. and it's got, again, got your model student, I think it's just the boy in that one. They would separate the boys and the girls, so you mm. often would have one in entrance for the boys, one entrance for the girls, um, sometimes even different buildings um, separately. But I think that one there is possibly just a boy, maybe it's both, I'm not sure, can you remember? I think it might be just a boy. Um, but there's also a ragged school that you can visit in the shape of uh, the Ragged School Museum. Now, as I understand at the minute, it's closed for refurb, but it's due to open up in again sometime in the in the autumn. But there's no particular date yet. It's on Copperfield Road in Tower Hamlets, and it is this amazing big building. And it's got this Victorian classroom, so it shows you how it would have been. It talks you through what the I think they had about 160 kids at any given time, so it's quite large. And um, this was the one that was used by Dr. Bernardo to house the largest ragged school in London. So it's in mm. that same building. So we're going to pop that on the list and maybe we'll do another little uh, podcast. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, so, yeah, we still do have these little things. Now, the ragged schools tend not to have the model students on them. Um, it's the blue coat ones that, that usually do. Uh, but there are, you will see them around. So if ever you've seen a building and you see these little sort of statues of what look like well they, they don't make them look like kids they look like small adults which is i guess what they were yeah. sort of training them to be in a little blue outfit and you think what on earth is that highly likely it's a blue coat school and you'll find mm. them across the country um but there we go so that's a little bit of a trot through a couple of hundred years of the poor schools in london wow that was so detailed alex that's fantastic it's um, I, it was something i knew a fair bit about and then the more yeah. I dug, dug the more I hadn't come across the industrial schools before no 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 interesting. and then the more I dug really was, oh, this is amazing um, yeah. So, yeah there's um the one in Rotherhive which is just next to the watch house cafe mm. shows the girl and the boy it almost looks like they've got red lipstick on and the little boy his buttons have popped open and you can just see his little belly <laughs> as if to say you know this one's really good the children get fed really well yeah. He's got like a little kind of poop. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, bless. So again, that's the poor schools. And that's Brilliant. School. Love it, Alex. <laughs> again, it's just so lovely <laughs> to... I know. <laughs> Almost shook your hand. Um, in the... Um, no, let's not do a bake-off reference. Um, no, so, no. yes, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, really good. And yeah, so nice to, to again, have such a list of people that spent years you know there was that one person that you said 40 years of their life dedicated to helping children so nice yeah your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Podcast Pedestal. Which begs the question, Podcast Pedestal, where are you going? Where, what's happening this week? What, what do you think? Well, I will pass the baton to you. Oh, goodness me. Um... 
I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know what what I want to go for. I'm actually going to ask you to go first because I'm really struggling with what to pick. I know that's against your rules. (laughs) So I think I would like to go for... His last name began with C. I think you might have said Cranfield. Uh, In relation to which bit? So he set up a school near London Bridge. Oh, Thomas Cranfield, yeah. Yeah. And the first London one, yeah. Yeah, and it seemed like in such a short space of time he'd opened quite a number, a significant number. Um, So I think I'm I'm going to go for him. Good call, the first one in London. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean... I, I'm very tempted to go for Angela Burdett Coots just because I love her, but she's not the, she's not <laughs> yeah. the biggest part of this. I, I mean, I think I'm going to go for the Earl of Shaftesbury mm, nice. because he's so committed to uh, child poverty. He's so committed, not not to child poverty, to abolishing child poverty. <laughs> I really love child poverty. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. Um, <laughs> but I, I like dedicate it. my life to child poverty. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that he's he's not just sort of chucking money at it and going ah that'll do. He's like, no, no, um, I'll chuck money at it because I've got that, but I've also got the ability to, to do other stuff. Mm. Um, and I think it's really nice. I always love it when, as guys, we're able to give a story to a name that people know really well but don't know anything about. So, for example, Shaftesbury Avenue or yeah. the, um, the, well, let's call him Eros for the sake of argument. Um, you know, and people are kind of like, often people will, will chuck that thing of, oh, yeah, it's the Eros for the Earl Shaftesbury but they don't really kind of know too much about it. So I quite like it when we're able to go, that guy that you, that name you know, well, here's a bit, bit about him. And I, I think he was so instrumental in sorting all that out. And like you say, he was 40 years in that job. Yeah. Um, with 300,000 kids coming through. That I, I think he's my, he's my top dude for this week. That's a good one. I'm also quite tempted to change my answer. Oh, here we go. And go for Dickens because Ooh. he was, he, he went into one, he was inspired and it probably allowed people to know a bit more about the schools from reading his books. Yeah, and we do know what, you know, the impact that Dickens had for the for the poor population. You know, we yeah. know that his so, writing about it shone a light on it and everything. So Yeah, I think I'm gonna go for Dickens. Okay. All right. Dickens versus Shaftesbury, two big names <laughs> this week. There we go. Ooh. <laughs> so that's, those are your choices, everyone, this week. You actually get a, get a choice this week. You haven't had one for a few weeks. You do, yes. I will put up the poll on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's it for this week. Oh, brilliant, Alex. Thank you so much. So we're not rolling the, the wheel because you've already committed to... Uh, I've committed Simpsons to Tavern. Simpsons Tavern. That's what's happening. Amazing. houses. I did do an episode when you weren't here, actually. I think you were ill. Um, you were very ill, actually. It was the Beefsteak Club, wasn't it? It was the Beefsteak Club. Yes. And that did feature um, in that. I was thinking that earlier when you said that. I don't know. I didn't actually... Like, no, I didn't... No? I don't did think so. Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe okay. Fiona or Lottie did. But... It's, what made me, it's what made me think of it, though. Ah, okay. Yeah. But, yes, I'm sure there'll be a, enough for an episode, right? <laughs> sure there will be. Good yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Thank you all going for coming and listening. Thank you. We love you, as ever. We do. And we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.